Welcome to a family that loves Jesus. That's who we are, and um, we'd be lying if we said our family was neat and tidy, and never interrupted, and never a little bit messy, and never a little bit noisy, and all those kind of things. So um, if you do have small kids in the room, please feel totally at ease. We, we love that you're here. We love that you are uh, with us. My name's Andy. I'm part of the team. If you don't know me, um, quick announcement before we get going. Um, this October... It's so helpful having a screen there. Um, we are gathering as a Irish vineyard tribe. The vineyard in Ireland is 25 years old this year, and um, I'm excited about that. Obviously, you're not, but that's okay. Um, but we, we are, this is going to be a really significant gathering. It's the first time the Irish Vineyard, wider Irish Vineyard leaders have gathered from all over Ireland. And uh, that will be happening in this building on the 12th and 13th of October this year. Tickets go on sale next Sunday at 1. But we are like fully expecting this to sell out within a couple of weeks. There's people from as far away as Denmark and Norway that want to gather with us. Lots of uh, friends from across the water in Scotland, England, Wales want to come. Um, and so if you want to be with us, we'd love to have you. But you will need to get your tickets uh, once they go on sale. I'll tell you more about that next week, um, but block the dates off in your diary. It's going to be a really significant moment for us as a vineyard tribe in Ireland, and uh, that's all I have to say about that this morning. So um, we've been talking since Easter, if you are a guest or a visitor, we've been talking since Easter about the, the implications of it for our lives, the resurrection of Jesus, that that first Easter morning really did change everything for us. That in the resurrection, we find forgiveness for the broken parts and patterns of our lives. And we find an invitation to live victoriously over those. And that word, uh, victorious, can seem like a bit of a clunky word. It's maybe a theological word, a churchy word. But basically what that means is the patterns of dysfunction in our lives and in our city and in the world, they don't need to define us. They don't need to have the last word on us. That, that following Jesus is not about managing our mess or trying not to sin. It's about stepping into what it means to be truly human and the consequences of that for our families, for our city, and for the whole world. Um, we're going to do a bit of uh, audience participation. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Tried that in the 9.45 and the exact same thing happened. There was like two in the room. So we're going to do a bit of participation. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So here we go. We've been talking about an idea that's been sort of central to lots this year. And I want you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Transforming people. Transforming <laughs> Jess is on fire this morning. So let's, let's try that again. Be brave, okay? It's okay to get it wrong. Transforming people. The right answer is transforming people transform cities. We've been talking about this for months. I obviously need to fire myself um, because it doesn't seem to be landing. Transforming people transform cities. The answer isn't Jesus. We we are um, into that question. We're kind of in that stage with the little ones where like the answer to everything is Jesus. And uh, we were driving home from my parents a couple weeks ago and we stopped in the garage and bought some crisps for them. They were a little bit hungry. Um, If I'm going complete. Honestly, we hadn't given them lunch, and so it was Space Invaders. <laughs> Pray for us. Um, any of you noticed, though, that when you open a bag of crisps, they typically are filled only half full? And that, it seems like it's maybe getting worse, stingy crisp factories or whatever. But anyway, um, so the, the kids finished the, the Space Invaders, and uh, Moses from the back seat said, Dad, um, 
Will you tell Jesus next time to fill the whole bag up? <laughs> so, so for our kids, the answer is always Jesus, but um, for, for the rest of us, things are slightly more complicated. Uh, the reality is that transforming people transform cities, that, that God actually is at work in the world. And that his big idea and his big dream is not that his life and love and health and wholeness would fill environments like this on a Sunday morning, but that his life and love and health and wholeness would fill indeed the entire world. That we wouldn't measure our effectiveness by church services, but the amount of his life that we see breaking into our everyday, ordinary Lives. You see, God is not distant or dead. He is not passive or angry. He is present among us and in passionate pursuit of us and indeed every single person in our city and the world. Why? Because he loves us. It's as simple as that. For, for some of you, that's as much theology as you will ever need to know. That God is passionate about you. He's not angry or mad. He's not distant or passive. He's in passionate pursuit of you. He cares deeply about you. You see, the Easter story is the greatest love story ever told, that God himself would give himself for us to set us free. It's like a disco up here. You all right? I'm not dancing, I promise. That in Jesus and in the resurrection, we would discover what it means to live truly free lives. And this idea of freedom, uh, it's it's one that our our culture idolizes. If you pay any attention to the news or cultural commentators or what's kind of swirling in the ether around us, Freedom, specifically the encroachment of somebody's freedom, is just about one of the greatest cultural sins or faux pas any of us could ever commit. We love, indeed almost worship this idea of freedom, but I'm not sure we understand it very well. One writer says this about freedom. Freedom is not having everything we crave It is about being able to go without the things we crave and being okay with it. Some of us misunderstand freedom actually to be, I should be free to just do whatever I want. I should be free to just express my desire in any way I feel like it, so long as maybe it doesn't hurt or harm anybody else. But is that actual freedom? I think perhaps it's slavery to our whims and our emotions and our desires? What if freedom was being able to actually say no to some of those things and being okay? It's a good idea. It's maybe an inspiring idea, but actually Jesus doesn't even go there. He goes further. What if actually we could change the things we crave? What if actually the things we desire could change? What if we could learn together to actually hunger and thirst for things that would lead us into wholeness? And not just us, but our families and our communities and the places we work, the cities we live in, and indeed the whole world. What if the gospel and following Jesus 
wasn't actually about managing difficult desires, but was actually about learning new ones? What if it was actually about learning to crave the things that would lead us towards health and wholeness? And we believe that those things are found in Jesus. And we believe that in following him, we are transformed. And we've been talking the past few weeks about how do we choose to build our lives around Jesus? How do we choose to intentionally pursue things that will lead us and our families and our city into his life? That Easter was not about the birth of a religion. It was a rediscovery of what it means to be truly human. What if we could trade the arrogance of our age for humility? What if that actually became something that we hungered and desired and ordered our lives around? What if it was possible to focus on something, anything? What if it was possible to focus our lives and our eyes on Jesus and to throw off every other distraction that would hinder us? And last week, Stu did a phenomenal job provoking us to cultivate a strong gentleness in how we live and interact with the world around us. By the way, if you haven't listened to that talk from last week, uh, I can't encourage, recommend, um, tell you more strongly to listen to it. It was absolutely world class. Not just as a, as a talk, but the things that Stu unpacked last week will change your life if you invite Jesus to help you. It's online. You can get it there. What would our lives look like were they immersed in the humility, focus, and gentleness of Jesus? What would our city look like? Like, What would Lisburn look like if we actually began to cultivate lives of humility and focus and gentleness? What kind of you would that make? We've been talking about this idea that the, the future of our lives is who we're becoming. I wonder, is that good news or bad news for you? The future of your family is who you're becoming. The future of our city is who we are becoming. I want to finish this morning looking at a passage in the book of Acts, found in chapter 7. It's page 760 on one of your black Bibles, hopefully sitting beside you or under a chair or something. Why don't you grab a Bible, turn to Acts 7, verse 54, page 760. 760 in the Black Bibles. Acts 7 verse 54 says this. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. And they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Let's pray. Father, we welcome you among us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. Come and reveal the truth of Jesus and lead us towards him. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I wonder how many of you would like to have more of the power of God available in your life. Like I wonder how many of you would love to have more of his power, the miraculous, the supernatural, signs and wonders and all of those things available to you. I brought a a tablet with me this morning. Um, I thought it was turmeric. Dana informed me it's actually B12. But I I want you to just imagine for a second that by taking this tablet, right, all of a sudden you would be filled with the power of God. That every sick person you know and love would be healed instantly simply by a prayer. That you would be filled with the ability to speak to systems of injustice and corruption in our city and in the world and see them changed in an instant. That the prophetic insight to problem solving in your relationships or in your business that that would come and fill you just by taking this simple little pill and you would be able to change everything that seems to be causing destruction and difficulty in your life and the city and the world. I wonder if I said that's available just by taking this pill, Matrix style. How many of you, just raise your hand, would be interested in taking that pill? Just wave at me. Don't be shy. I would imagine it's most of us. Some of you are like, Church ministers are suspicious. I'm definitely out. (laughs) I think most of us, to be quite honest, I'm pretty sure I would be at the front of the queue, right? But one more thing I forgot to tell you. After a bit of that, you're going to be dragged out in front of the city and stoned to death. Who still wants one? You see... Most of us long for more of God's power, but we don't really want his sacrifice, right? Most of us want his power, but few of us want his sacrifice. We meet Stephen, this guy we've been reading about for the first time in Acts chapter 6, and it says that he was full of grace and power. It says that he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen had taken the tablet. His life was saturated in the power of God, demonstrating the presence of the kingdom to people all around him. And then people began to spread rumors of him, accusing him of all kinds of things. It started with Stephen, and we have been doing it ever since. I wonder, do you think it is coincidence that Great men and women of God 
who move in the supernatural have to deal with stigma and slander thrown at them and spoken about them all the time. That's a whole other talk. But anyway, Stephen gets arrested and gets all sorts of false accusations thrown at him. And when asked how he's going to respond to the charges, rather than pointing out the lies or the liars, rather than jumping to a personal defense of how unjust this moment is, which frankly would be probably my impulse, he decides to give those accusing him a history lesson. And you can read this in Acts chapter 6. And he he starts with Moses and then goes to Joshua, David, Solomon, the prophets, and right up to Jesus and how these religious leaders treated him, as in Jesus. This is what they're listening to when we pick up the text and their response. They cover their ears and they drag him into the street and they brutally murder him in front of everyone. You see, we call this series Brave New You because following Jesus requires courage. Following Jesus requires courage. Being a Christian doesn't really. Certainly not in Northern Ireland anyway. Showing up to church on Sunday, reading your Bible in the morning, saying the old prayer when things get hard. Are you okay? We're okay? It's a wee bit intense, isn't it? The reality is following Jesus requires courage. It requires courage. You see, we live in a time when arrogance is often rewarded. Distraction is just part of the game. Being harsh and stepping on or over whoever you need to to achieve your goals is celebrated. And the dirty little secret of the age within which we live is we're all terrified. Under the surface is this bubbling, brimming fear. Fear of being left out, fear of not being seen, fear of being judged, fear of being stupid, fear of being overlooked, fear of being left behind. It permeates all sorts of places and people. And while everyone is yelling about rights and freedom underneath it, We're scared out of our wits. And the thing I love about that is the people of God shine brightest in times like these. Hope is real and available. And we don't have to be scared. But we would be lying if we told you following Jesus wasn't going to cost It wasn't going to cost. Following Jesus costs us in comfort. It costs us in reputation. Man, does it cost financially. In the short term, being selfish is an awful lot easier. Like living a selfish life, in the short run, it's a lot simpler. It's a lot easier. But you let that play out a few months, a few years, a few decades Uh, And what you find is the relational landscape around you crumbles. And it falls apart. And it doesn't work. Following Jesus costs. 
And for many of our brothers and sisters all over the world, this past week, following Jesus cost them their lives. That's just the truth. And it's sobering. And some of you may think that what happened to Stephen and what's happening in all sorts of places all over the world is idiotic and unnecessary. The pinnacle of religious fanaticism. We can misunderstand it and we can critique it, but the one thing we cannot deny is the courage that is required in those kind of moments. And the final piece of the puddle, puzzle, <laughs> the final piece of the puzzle is courage. What fuels this kind of courage? Where does it come from? Where does the kind of courage that enables you to be brutally laid out in front of a city and stoned to death, where does that come from? Stephen isn't promised his own planet if he dies well. He is not expecting seven virgins waiting for him on the other side of this moment. There's none of that. Where does his courage come from? We often think that courage is the absence of fear. And therefore, many of us think a courageous life is beyond us because the truth is we get scared all the time. No matter how good we are at showing our muscles and the bravado, no matter how good we are at hiding it or masking it, the the reality is most of us interface with our own insecurities and fear all the time and therefore think a life of courage is beyond us. I'll never forget the first night, nor our daughter had a nightmare. She was about one and she'd been sleeping through the night Solidly for months. Sorry, any of you who are struggling with that with small kids. She was just a bit of a freak in that way, and she slept like crazy. And Dana and I were downstairs in our front room, monitor on, just hanging out, having a chat. She'd been sleeping for hours. And then out of nowhere, and this had never happened before, out of nowhere, we heard this gut-wrenching scream comes simultaneously down the stairs and down the hall and down the monitor at the same time. And she screamed, Dada! I went like I was shot out of a cannon. Matter of fact, any of you who know our house, the stairs are a little bit narrow. Dana and I literally fought each other up the stairs to see who would get there first. We burst in through the door into our room to find her standing in her cot, tears streaming down her face, utterly terrified. And I scooped her up and I held her and shushed her and told her that I was there and and she calmed down. What's my point? The reality is that room could have been filled terrorists who wanted to murder me, a rabid pack of wolves, or some other unspeakable evil, I would challenge any of you to try and get in my way going through that door. Great courage comes from great love. Great courage comes from great 
love. The key to courage is love. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. It is the ability to choose in the presence of fear. We tell our little squad this all the time. What does it mean to be brave? Doing the right thing even when you're scared. Courage is not the absence of fear. In fact, it requires its presence. I wonder, what do you love so much that it frees you from thinking about yourself? What do you love so much that it frees you from thinking about yourself? Stephen, in this story, so obviously has been overwhelmed with the love of Jesus and love for Jesus. It is the only thing that enables people to make the kind of choices that he did. Listen again to verse 57. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Stephen knew what was happening. He knew what was going on. He knew this was not going to be a swift beheading or a quick bullet to the head. He knew this was going to be brutal and bloody and it was going to hurt. And he had time to think about that. And this is his prayer. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he falls on his knees and cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where do you get this kind of courage from? Great courage comes from great love and great love comes from encountering great love. Stephen's life had been saturated in the love of God. And it fueled his courage. And to top it off, Literally, his dying prayer is one of forgiveness. You know it takes way more courage to forgive than it does to take revenge, right? It takes a heart saturated in an atmosphere, in an environment of love to forgive. James, why don't you and the guys come back up as we um, land. You see, I think we, William Wallace, understood courage for so long. We think courage looks like William Wallace. We think courage looks like beating our chests and screaming loud and whipping ourselves into some sort of frenetic frenzy. But the reality is courage can be quiet as a whisper. It can be gentle as a lamb. Courage comes from love. And love comes from God. What would it take for you to live a more courageous life? It begins with what do you love? What do you love? 
Better question, maybe, who do you love? Learning to love beyond ourselves. And we are ending this series in this place because the reality is effort and discipline alone cannot get us there. Just trying to will ourselves to love God more or love our friends more or love our wife more or love our kids more. We we can't will ourselves there. Great love comes from encountering great love. Placing ourselves before God and asking potentially the two most dangerous life-changing questions you could ever ask. God, what do you think about me and how do you feel about me? God, what do you think about me and how do you feel about me? When we can shut up some of the religious noise, family narratives, things that others have said, maybe even your legitimate reputation up until now, when we can set those things down for a moment, quiet our minds and our hearts, and humbly come to God with, what do you think when you see me? How do you feel when you look at me? It changes everything. We're undone forever. And we have to learn how to build our lives from that place. Great courage comes from great love. And great love comes from encountering great love.